welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What's happening, everyone? (laughs) We're coming at you from the infamous... The Cat Palace. This, yep, <laughs> we call it the Cat Palace. We're at John Barclow's house, sitting in front of a mystic fireplace. And uh, <coughs> I figured for sure you'd come out in your Mary Catmas. Mary Catmas. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little early. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> you got your, are those leather Crocs? Hell yeah, man. I'll be dang they are. I think, I think they're called Alaskans. So, oh. like, I had to buy them when I lived in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a nice leather trim. They've got more it's like stuff on the top of them than I care to talk about. But I was hoping you'd say these are the King Ranch versions. <laughs> they kind of are. <laughs> yeah, how they have the custom-sewn <laughs> yeah, exactly. leather. Yeah. The, the saddle leather. <laughs> well, we're... Um, here in Montana yesterday, just so everyone listen, I'll give you a little, if you weren't on my Instagram, I'll give you a little background. Ooh, I wasn't on your Instagram. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're on no one's Instagram. <laughs> We're, we get to see one picture at a time of you, and then that's it. But I came out to Bozeman, Montana to work on some things with John and some other team members for Sitka on some things that's going to be down the road that we're pretty excited about. It's not, I would say, I would say it's in a category people may not expect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is that fair? I think that's very fair. Okay. Um, and it's really cool from the ground up. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not trying to, to give a plug or anything. Cause at this point it's so conceptual. It's almost like it could, it could burn easy. We don't we're, even we're ever do it. We're baking the biscuit by scratch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We just, yeah, we just threw some flour and an egg <laughs> together last night. And we're, we're trying to see if if our dough rises or whatever. That's probably a terrible way to make. I bread. think Eric's pretty excited about it too. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. It will be cool if it if it comes to tuition. But in the meantime, last night we did a grill and chill. That was pretty awesome. Dude, yeah. those ribeyes were... They came out <laughs> really nice, you didn't they? nailed it last yeah. night. Well, on occasion. I, when I'm I not had, drinking. Well... Heavily. <laughs> <laughs> we... I was I was a little bit on the feeling good side last night. Well, Preston's recipe that Jules executed was... Yeah, it was The awesome. spicy margarita... Is like it's got a. I don't know if it's got a needs another name, but it was legit. Yeah, we well he needs. It was to the name second it. evening I'd partaken in those because I had to try them out. What Friday night, Saturday? Yeah, night? good for just you. Just to make sure, you know. Well, I told you. I, I said, didn't want to serve margaritas. We need to call my buddy Preston. Yeah, he was my buddy legit. Preston. Is the man for drink concoctions and knowing specific little liqueurs to really add to your experience oh no he sent me on some wild goose chases that's for sure yeah i found everything yeah in the end but i'll have to let him make a picture and then make a post of that yeah he's uh he's an awesome dude so we had some of those we had a grill out we hung out with some guys from the office that honestly i haven't seen in 
eight months because yeah. the last time I came when everyone was here was like it was the calm before the storm. It was before elk season. Yeah. yeah. It, remember? Because everyone was here in the yard. Everyone yeah. was shooting Shoot 3Ds. Them, yeah. And it was the calm before the storm. And then all of a sudden, once hunting season kicks off at Sitka or any <laughs> archery company, it, good luck finding. Yep. No one's going to be at the same place at the same time. So it was fun just to catch up, hear some stories, hang out with some of the guys. And then this morning, we're having a few meetings as well, just kind of, well, organizing calendars i guess which mm -hmm. i think is important and we mean you needed to do some podcasting because you've been on assignment for me from me you've had some homework dude i've been on a journey <laughs> for a long time but yeah. yeah we've got some awesome questions from instagram I'll, I'll get back to those and for those of you listening i'm just going to tell you right now if it was if it was a question specific to just close, I'm going to save that. Like I want to, I want to talk about archery and you know, we don't really need to talk about clothes in the system. I want to talk about you made a commitment to, have you committed to the whole school knock series too? Yeah. Cause okay. And yeah. then you also made a commitment to the hinge, yep, the which you smooth. and I talked about a little bit last night. So, do you do you want to dive in and tell people where you're at? Yeah, if, uh, yeah, if I can make it coherent. So, um, you know, every winter for as long as I can remember, I decide to do something with my archery form um, or something related to archery every winter. Because, you know, I'm living here in Montana or Alaska, and you can't do a lot outside. And <laughs> yeah. so this year I was really struggling to kind of figure out what it was um, I was shooting with a buddy early morning and I'd gotten him shooting a silverback. And so we're talking and I said, yeah, I really don't know what I'm going to do this winter. I said, I'm thinking maybe I'll shoot a hinge, but I don't know, maybe I'll put that off till next winter. Well, he comes in the next time we shoot with a Carter honey or a honey too, something yep. like that. And I'm like, you son, which you know, has a safety, it has a safety, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he's shooting, and he's like, dude, you got to try this, blah, blah. So I pick it up. I shoot maybe 12, 10 or 12 shots over the course of two, two, two days. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going all in. <laughs> and so I bought it too smooth. Mm -hmm. And my gosh, I am so I am so thankful. And there was one thing you said, which um, I don't know if you said it on purpose to, to kind of send me on this path or not but you said something along the lines of yeah if you can shoot a silverback like really well like that's jedi level and if you can shoot all of them to include the two smooth like kind of equally the same you said something like you're a jedi master well that's all i had to hear because yeah. <laughs> yeah like that's what i'm seeking right mm -hmm. and i'll maybe never attain that but and so i bought it too smooth and I committed to that all winter. And I've just recently started reshooting the silverback, kind of tune up my RX-3. But I've still committed to that, or I'm sorry, the two smooth. So I've still committed to that two smooth. And what I've learned is really interesting. And going back now, tuning up my RX-3 and just getting a couple rounds in with that, I'm sorry, uh, with the silverback and the RX-3, dude, I'm shooting the silverback better than ever. Yep. And I think that 
shooting the two smooth, coupled with the school of knock. And, and I had to go into this. I mean, I'd never have considered myself, I think I'm a decent shot, but like I never consider myself a great shot. And I went to it completely humble, you know, and I didn't even tell you I was doing it, right? Like I yeah. told you I'm a student of knock like everybody else out there. And I was like, you know what? I need to, I'm going to break my form down literally to the bare bones, the foundation. And every time I step the line, I'm going to check my feet. And every time I text, step the line, I'm going to check my grip and I'm going to raise up and I'm going to, and I'm going to go through all those steps as you did. And we're in like week 10 or 11 now, yep. something like that. Um, and I, I told you last night, I'm like, yeah, I shot yesterday. I was pushing some left and rights. And then I realized I'm not mirroring my front and backhand. I'm like, dog on it, you know? Yep. But those little things, and you call it polishing. And I would say that's what I need because I think my basic form's okay. But, but anyways, to go through that and then throw the two smooth on top, I've, I've never shot a 300 round until maybe a month ago. Yeah. Like I literally had to look up online how to score a 300 round. Mm-hmm. And um, and now I'm I'm kind of obsessed with yeah. with trying to shoot one right a, a perfect score. But I, I, those fine little details when you start to shoot at 20 yards and and your margin of error is like you know the 10 mm-hmm. or the X, I can see where all those little things. If I'm not doing them right, I'll throw one. If I'm doing everything right, it'll be you know an X or a 10. So it's been a heck of a journey. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, that that's the really really fun part and there is a method to my madness when it comes to how I plotted everything out because this is exactly what I do for myself. Yeah. You know, I don't want to I I put it out there for everyone to see, but essentially when I each day that I film that next week, I'm actually there doing it myself and that's why some have came a few days early some have come a few days late yeah when i feel like i'm ready to move to the next thing then i move to the next thing but i look at it just like our hunting knives when we come back from hunting season i mean normally i'm not the best at putting a perfect edge on a blade but my uncle kenny is really good and so Every year in June, I just send them this box of knives. And <laughs> I get them back, and they're all just as pristine as you can get. But mm-hmm. then once you go through season, even if you're using them the right way, you just start pinging edges and things like that to where they work. But it's not like that first time when you yeah. drag it across flesh and you're like, get get out of the way of that thing. Yeah. So that's why I think you you have to – to first put like a the rough edge on and you have to establish that angle but then you polish it down and what really starts to melt you down mentally and this is where I'm at now is when all of a sudden you make a mistake but you knew yeah you're like oh I knew I know I crept on that and I didn't feel it and I know I should and then so the next arrow you're like don't creep don't creep just you know make sure you're hard on the wall and you kind of check in which that's actually this week's um homework Mm -hmm. coming up as soon as i get back i'll Mm -hmm. film it i'm going to talk about really now that everyone's where they're at really checking in on the back wall almost hit the back wall one extra time so you know that you're on it 
And then I want people that are silverback users to actually reduce some of their their holding weight on the release mm. this week. I think there's a lot of people that I'm watching that are making awesome dynamic shots, but I know that they're probably pulling a little bit too hard to get there. And for the guys now that I've allowed some people to start seeking scores, mm-hmm. pulling that extra one and a half pounds against that wall is enough to move you off a target to where if you're aiming at a Vegas face, you're going to, you're going to see it. Yeah. So learning that balance of being consistent on the wall, on the wall, pulling through the wall, but not like having to bend the cables over the cam posts in order to get there. So, you know, that's going to be this week's thing is checking in. And for me, I've started to kind of mix up the silverback and the two smooth a lot over these last weeks, Mm -hmm. because now I'm really getting to the point where I'm like polishing things enough to where if I really feel that back wall, I can, I can execute either of those releases almost identical, but there's definitely a learning curve of, okay, I'm shooting a silverback good. Then you go to a hinge and you're like, I'm shooting it okay, but I'm not shooting it Mm -hmm. what I would say really good. And then you practice like several weeks at it and you start to realize, oh, wait a minute. Now I feel like I've got this thing going. And then when you go back, that's when a light bulb, new light bulb comes in. You're like, wait a minute okay, now I'm shooting the silverback even better than what I thought. I I thought I was as good as I could get before, and I switched over. But now I feel like I'm even shooting it better. And when you can flip-flop between those two like that and then go back to a knock to it, then then it's like, man. And it's and – it's, it's, That's what I used to do in tournaments. There's such subtle things. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to do that in tournaments a lot when people – you either see me with a hinge in old photos at competitions, um, shooting my hinge with two fingers, or you'll sh- see me with a two-finger release, which was kind of, you know, an early version of a knock to it. Mm-hmm. But normally I wouldn't shoot all week long with that trigger. You know, I felt comfortable with it in situations, and I really liked how good I was on it when I f- – you know, when I first came out of practice with my hinges, it's like I could pick that thing up and just, it's not that I needed control. What I needed was the efficiency of how well I could shoot with it with mm-hmm. littler effort than the other two. My outcome would be the same. I didn't want to have, I didn't want the control of making the trigger happen. All I liked is being able to steady just a little bit more pull a little bit less and get the exact same result because once I extend things to 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 meters, I needed a little bit less movement overall in my body yeah. to keep the groups down. But, but um, so I'm asking you a question to maybe make a comment later, but, but there's a limit. Is there a limit to how long you'll shoot a thumb or like the knock to it before you'll go back to either a tension or a hinge? I have all three on me all the time. Yeah. And it's just one of those things I feel like I can shoot them all three the same. 
So I just grab one. And mm-hmm. a lot, you know, sometimes there's reasons why, yeah, I'm going to shoot, you know, if I feel like I wasn't holding on the wall very good, I'll make myself shoot a silverback because that the silverback will let you know that better than the other two releases. Yeah. Like if you're creeping, if your shoulder's collapsing, you just can't get the thing to go off. Right. If you won't let you cheat. Yeah, yeah. If you're just crushing down, everything's, you know, you're taking, but it's, you're giving and taking at the same time. Whereas, you know, if that's happening with a too smooth, you can just start to manipulate the fingers a little bit more. Or yeah. if it's happening with a knock to it and you feel like, I mean, you don't have to get on the trigger, but you can just start to apply a very slow, gradual thumb pressure to where you still get a surprise shot, just like if you were on a rifle trigger. Mm-hmm. But it's not that way with with the silverback. I mean, it it's an identifier. So there's times where I shoot that, and then there's times where I shoot the too smooth but i don't feel like i have to but i honestly feel like i feel like the knock to it is the easiest to shoot like in my opinion that's the easiest yeah, to I would shoot agree with that to shoot yeah but it doesn't make me shoot at my best yeah so the reason i ask and, and, and interesting enough you say that like so two of my buddies are kind of on their silverback journeys i'll, mm-hmm. I'll say this winter you know, I've talked to him and I'm like, you gotta, like, you gotta try this. And like I've said before, like you have to commit three months and you have to leave your, uh, ego at the door because you're going to shoot worse before you shoot better, you know? And so they've done that. They've, they've done that, but now they're to the point where they're looking to maybe go back to their, their thumb, Mm -hmm. be it a knock to it or, or something similar. And they're like, dude, I, I, I don't know if I don't think I shoot that as well anymore. Yeah. And and I have not just, you know, by really no conscious effort, like I've not gone back and shot my knock to it. But they're like, dude, all of a sudden, like I'm shooting the hinge better or I'm shooting the silverback better. Like yep. I can't shoot my thumb as good. And it's like, it's so interesting. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll go back and they'll shoot that. And maybe like a week or 10 days are like, yeah, dude, I'm back on it. I'm back on it. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating it now. Yeah. And then they'll go back to such a good identifier. Oh my gosh, it, it, dude, it's crazy how. And you may play that game for years. I mean, I played it. I think it's a good game to play. Yeah, I played it for years. When I first started shooting the hinge to overcome my target panic, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and a lot of it was because everyone shot triggers. I almost feel like if you're shooting a trigger, it just seems. I don't know. It maybe it's like you're not admitting that you have an issue. So people with that can shoot triggers really good. But for whatever reason it's like when I went to a tournament, I had this mentality of I need to have my I need to just shoot my trigger there. Yeah. But then I'd get there and by the s- second day I'd start to realize like I would this little bitty devil in my head would just have this opportunity where you know, all of a sudden I would hear it say like the pins there, the pins there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, I need to put a muffle on your mouth right now. Like if I, if I heard him one time in the back of my, my mind, yep. it's like, okay, dude, I gave you a chance to play. <laughs> you know, I told you to shut up in the back seat. You're talking. So he goes away. And, and I, every and I, single arrow in your game, like every single arrow counted. Oh yeah. Like one point could be the difference. And there wasn't that many. That's what I. That's one of the things that I don't 
like about shooting 3D tournaments mm-hmm. is in the end, I go to a, I spend a whole weekend, I go somewhere, and I'm only shooting 50 scoring arrows. Yeah. Whereas once I started shooting in the world archery side of things, you know, you're shooting, you can go shoot hundreds. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes depending on if they did a double feeder or something, you could shoot hundreds of arrows in a day huh. for score. Yeah. Not just, you know, back in the IBO days, shoot. Sometimes you can only shoot 10, one range, one of the 10 target ranges. So you're out there for four hours to shoot 10 scoring arrows. Yeah, that'd be tough. And every arrow, you know, might have $1,000 on it or 500 bucks. Mm. You know, if you break down what you could win versus you're only shooting 40 arrows, it's like, yeah, it just got to the point where, you know, I don't feel like I ever really knew how good of an archer I was. I knew I Interesting. was, yeah, I felt like I was a good 3D shooter, uh-huh. but I never knew how good I was as an archer. Once I started shooting targets, which I actually didn't like shooting targets at first, I thought it was monotonous, thought it was super repetitive. It, you know, I just, I got bored easily. I mm-hmm. didn't like there's there's these like brain training things so you have to your brain i feel like your brain trains easiest on natural colors that are in nature so i think when you aim like when i aim on black or browns or oh, tans yeah. or whites for me too. to me it seems like my pin like things are a lot easier it's like welded in place almost. Yeah, yeah 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 but then as soon as you like i remember when i put up my first yellow vegas face I was I th- I mean my pins like get me out of here. I mean it did not want to be on the ye- it hated yellow. And then it got to the point where it's like okay, I'm just not going to allow you to see your pin. So, you know, my eyes would focus so much on the colors that it I, I would get blurry on my yeah, on my pin hmm. and it just you start to have to to train your 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 mind on the target, which is also an important lesson to learn in archery if you're really trying to like master it that's why when we were in your barn last night we were, you were talking you actually have the the basement bandit face up which you're shooting at 20 yards so yeah. it looks half the size yeah. <laughs> right um which would probably wig me out so i told you i said what you have to do once that you can't be looking at the 10 ring anymore. Now, now you need to be looking like focus more, let your mind see the outer rings that are bigger so that Mm -hmm. your pin can sit within that. Because what's happening is when you fully block something, I really feel like it, your brain or your subconscious makes you have more movement because it's trying to see what you're covering. Yeah. You know, I I felt for me, I think that's true. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and if you so if mentally instead of seeing the inner ring, if you start to be like, you know what, I'm gonna let my focal point be more of the outer ring to where now you're, because especially shooting a hunting bow, yep. your hunting pin is gonna not cover the entire outer ring. It, yeah. you'll, you know, it'll almost be like front sight, rear sight acquisition type, more of a picture. Mm-hmm. And I think the brain accepts that better well it's funny because so much to say but you know i I shot so much pistol in my past that you know that we would do what's called lollipop 
where you'd have the target just above the front sight post, right? Mm-hmm. And so my subconsciously, my brain wants to go back to lollipop yes. the target as opposed to covering it up. So I, I fight that on occasion. And then those two buddies I said who have gone down this journey, yeah, they're like, I mean, one of them's actually very accomplished and won some uh, state uh, shoots up in Alaska, but but they struggle with, especially most of the sites, first pin's green, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like green on yellow, green on yellow. And I mean, the one guy here, he's just, he's struggling with it. And yeah. so he'll put black, he'll just shoot black tape at a target, right? Yep. And then all of a sudden he's like stacking them, stacking them, stacking them. But if he goes and shoots, tries to shoot a 300 round, he's going to struggle. Yep. Um, Which is kind of a, a mind freak, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, 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 I haven't, for the benefit of myself and my wife, like I haven't gone down this, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to buy a target bow and, and shoot a target setup all yeah, winter. You're not going to have to make that decision. I'm going to build you. Well, one. so maybe next winter. Cause I tell you what, man, like now all of a sudden I'm like, so here's here's it's like how good can I be? And it's not like I'm saying I could be a world champion, but it's like when you're shooting a target bow with a target setup or a, a hunting bow and a hunting setup at a target and you're shooting okay, like three hundred rounds. Yep. But you're like so Jay and I were talking about this because he's, he's got a couple points on me right now. <laughs> and it's like, could you like could you legitimately shoot a 300 round with your hunting bow and i'm like I, I don't know it's so precise but then it's like but what if i had a target bow could i shoot like could i actually go shoot a 300 round right now and i'm like i actually think my form's good enough i could do it but it's really difficult with the setup i got green pin yellow yellow face you know big pin and anyways so it's been interesting because i didn't think i'd be that excited and i'm not saying i'm going to go on the tournament circuit or anything but but it's just like it's so interesting i mean it's been super cold right where you and i live so i mean the inside game's all we got right now yeah well on it but it makes you so like every tiny little thing like i'm like up stance isn't right that's why i threw that shot left (laughs) but you've you've brought that to everybody's attention yeah which i really appreciate yeah so the key especially in a tournament situation is when that happens ideally you don't do it again during that round and if you you know and we're still we're not that far into this so people that are doing this school for the first time now if they keep working on things throughout the year next season when we pick up on things again which next season i may i may either do it with more detail or i may refine it a little bit but i think people will start to realize a lot of that'll be more of the subconscious to where a lot of that's happening. And so the mistakes will be less, you know, if people can go from being like in your case, a 290 shooter to a 295 shooter by the end of this, Mm -hmm. to me, that's a lot because chasing, chasing the last four to five points, it's hard. And some of it is just how you feel that day. I mean, it's like me, there's days there's days I've walked in and I've shot two to 300 straight tens and never miss. Well, but then there's another day where, well, two days ago I walked in, shot a nine on my second arrow, Yeah, you know, and I was already creeping, 
but I also went in there 45, well, I drove to my range 45 minutes after a heavy workout. Yeah. I got there. It was snowed in. So I took about an hour and 15 minutes. Jeez, <laughs> oh, the um, shovel. <laughs> well, I used a snowblower, but I'm still like yep. pushing it. You yep. know, it's not like it's, it wasn't a automated one. So I'm, you know, like doing the old ramming the snow thing. And it, it took me about an hour to do it. And I got in and then I kind of still had my my snowboarding pants on, my lacrosse Alpha Burley boots, and I just thought, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I kind of need to get home get soon, reps so in, I'm going to yeah. get some reps. And then third arrow, I spit a nine out. But right when I did it, I knew, I knew how the shot felt when the bow goes forward. I knew my mm -hmm. shoulder was high, and I thought – I wonder if that's going to be off the top. And then sure enough, it was out the top, which is for me, if I miss high, it's due to a collapse. It's mm. normally a collapse on my front end. But, I, you know, with what you're saying, there, what sucks about a lot of people out there is there's people like you that just absolutely commit and they're doing it and they're doing it. And I wish I could have a time where – I could personally know if every one of those people's bows are shooting to the capability mm. of their commitment. It's a good, it's a good question. Because, hey man, when I first learned X10s and I first learned barreled shaft arrows, which are essential at long distance stuff, they're murderous to tune. Mm. I mean, there there is a lot of time. And I remember just sitting there at 70 meters and I just, I knew everybody was shooting X10s and I looked at a chart and I just thought, okay, well, this is the closest arrow I need. And I would just sit there and shoot and shoot and, you know, shooting 60, uh, 60 point passes. And I'd be shooting like 52s, 53s, 54. Occasionally I might shoot a 56 and every now and then I'd have like a fluke 59. But the whole time I was shooting that, I'm like, man... I feel like I'm making good shots and I just started to think, okay, I'm a, on mm. a 360 round, I'm a mid 340 shooter. That's just must be what I am. And then all of a sudden I went to a tournament with one of my teammates who wasn't throwing me any bones mm -hmm. and I pulled the arrows out of the target and both of him and I both had arrows very similar in length. And I remember setting his points down on my hand, and I noticed the Easton logos were in different locations. Huh. And I go, hey, dude, are these printed wrong? And he's just like, huh? And I'm like, your labels are different than mine. And I, and he had this, like, <laughs> he and he tried to play it off, uh -huh. but there was just enough hint there where I'm like, okay, asshole, what are you doing? Right. So then that's when I went and started to, like, talk you know started to learn about this and i know everyone knew at least on that original x10 arrow if you cut off the back yeah it's stiff in the arrow at about twice the rate as cutting off the front and a lot of people would just automatically cut two inches off but i didn't realize there were guys out there that were like cutting an inch off plotting cutting two off plotting cutting three off plotting mm. then going back to what you know, and it the the problem is every time you do that, you would have to like eBay these arrows off. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm yeah. not kidding because you know, four hundred bucks a dozen. Yeah. 
So then all of a sudden, you re- I, I learned to realize, I'm like, okay, with an inch and a half off the back of a 410 out of, at the time, I was shooting a, a Matthews Apex, 59 and a half pounds, 31-inch draw. With, uh, with that 410, an inch and a half off the back, I had to shoot a pin knock. I couldn't use a biter. It changes as soon as I went to a biter knock. And then... I either had to shoot a full-length steel point at times, or I could shoot a 100-grain um, tungsten point, mm-hmm. but I couldn't shoot a 120 tungsten because then the groups would start to open up. So wow. once I figured out, like, the shaft, then I had to figure out my rear cut. Then once I did that, I went back to, okay, I've got – let me try all six of these points and just started to plot. And I, I have a target. I should try to find it. Um, I have a picture at the end of a full day of practicing. I probably shot five to 600 arrows mm-hmm. just working on X10s. Wow. I never changed my bow. I'm not even talking the loop, the serving, the rest, the launcher blade, nothing. Didn't change myself, not a lick. All I changed was arrows. And then that's the bow where I ended up going to six different continents and just murdering everything and that it was the combination so the bow wasn't shooting to what my capability was and at the time i just accepted it 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 wasn't until then where i was like wait a minute am i like is am i really is my bow shooting is good or is it being just that little bit forgiving for me when i make a minor error not necessarily a mistake mm-hmm. but if i make a small error is it still good enough and that's what i thrive for on my hunting bows now what it's identified for me is now i have a new baseline so with my hunting bows am i going to have as good of a sight picture at 100 yards as my target bow no way i don't have magnification i got multiple pins in there mm-hmm. you know i'm covering more of the target however when it's breaking, you know, am I always missing left and right? And, you know, if I see that whole left to right spray going on, then all I got to do is take a field point, put an extra 25, 50 grains in an arrow okay, and launch it down there and just start shooting groups on a brand new piece of paper. And I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Now it's definitely bigger or now it got tighter, but Either way, then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, my this light goes off, and now I know, I maybe I'm maybe I'm not able to shoot as good as I'm shooting, based on the equipment that I have, and that's why, that's why the match grade arrows are so important. Like mm. when people send me these questions, and they say, uh, what do you think of the new blah blah blah? Like a bunch of arrows just came out, and all I do is I just look at straightness and weight tolerance and if they're not better than what i have it's not going to be a better arrow Hmm. period it doesn't matter the construction to me straightness factors everything there's a statistic um that i used to talk about in my seminars and i'll have to look at what it what it is because it's been a while since i talked about it but i think at the time which this would have been maybe maybe at the games in 12 maybe at the games in 12 um, or maybe in the game after the games in eight. But I think about 80% of all gold medals were decided by one point or less. Dude, that's so and tight. Yeah. And what's crazy is with a hooter shooter, 
even an X10 arrow with, if you take X10s and you have them to where you have some that are a three or a four thousandth straightness, mm -hmm. they will not physically shoot within one point of wow. ones that are at, even out of a hooter shooter. Nope. Yeah. No. No. Wow. Like a lot of the Olympic teams would take their bulk arrow batches to the biter facility in mm -hmm. Germany and have their arrows actually straightened and culled out. And I'm talking <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of dozens to get down to where when those Olympic archers are going to the games, they've got 10 arrows out of batches and batches and batches, but they have maybe 10 dozen arrows for the year that are all identical. And then you really start to know. Bet that does something for your confidence, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably well, crushes it, too, if you throw one. <laughs> and, if you, you know, for, for me, it, it, it makes it that much more, or it makes me that much more aware. Like, it's not the bow. You know, if I go somewhere and there's variation, I'm like, not the gear. It's not the gear. Yeah. You know, the last thing I blame is my gear. I'm, you know, I all, I've just got to the point where if you've done that due diligence, you definitely blame yourself more than you, hmm. you know, you have yeah. to, yeah. because at, there's a point where it's that good. So I want people like you to, to, you know, and maybe next year's the year, maybe next year, what I need to do is, and, and shit, I'll just do it next year. You know, it's going to be school and knock, you know, build my first target bow. And I'm just going to tell people, go out, find a bow. doesn't matter what it is. Get something with lower weight. Mm -hmm. The reason I say that is because you want, like, you're drilling in repetitions. You know, if, like we talked about Andy and how many mm -hmm. millions of rounds yep. those the SEALs guys and spec op guys put through their weapons, I doubt they have them go out and freaking – rip off a 50 cal Barrett all day long, you right, know, right. they're going to give them something where they can go through the fundamentals and the practice. Like they're not going to do pistol training with a freaking desert Eagle. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. And so if you go out and all you're doing is training with your 75 or 80 pound hunting bow, there's value to it, but what are you trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. People that are telling me that they have soreness, that, you know, they feel tight. They're starting to feel like impingements. I mean, yeah, guys, we're pulling a lot of weight for a lot of reps. I mean, do the math. When people talk to me, um, I was talking to Bridges about a workout or something. And then I said, you know, archers lift way more than that. And he goes, what do you mean? And I just said, well, I don't know, do 70 times, there's days where I've shot 500 arrows, 70 times 500. Mm -hmm. How many tons did I lift today? <laughs> and he's like, holy cow, yeah. I mean, if you look at it like that, it adds up a lot. So having a target bow that's a little bit less weight, you're you're able to just drill and do the repetitions and stabilize, minimize, really perfect accuracy mm -hmm. without having the fatigue factor which also has importance because that's why like at the total archery challenge i took essentially a hunting bow with a few you know i took my multiple pins out i did have one pin 
-hmm. went to a slightly smaller housing, even though I didn't have magnification. Mm -hmm. And I was able to shoot just a little bit smaller peep sight. If you reduce your peep sight, dude, I can tell you right now, even if you shoot exactly what you shoot, if you were only able to see three of your pins in your peep rather than your whole housing, instantly you'd shoot two or three points better. Wow. Guaranteed. Just because you're not allowing yourself to have as much margin front sight, rear sight. So that's why, you know, those smaller peeps, that's why target archers shooting longer distance, they have smaller scopes. And so that, and they can narrow that peep down mm-hmm. to where, I mean, your sight picture is like essentially the, the gold scoring ring, maybe a little huh. bit of the red. Yeah. So when you're looking at that, it takes the right mindset, but when you're looking at it and you start doing it, then all of a sudden you're, you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm capable of more than I expected of myself before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where to go. Um, that was a rant. No, no, that was <laughs> awesome. We won't cover it all. But so let me go back to you asked me after I started shooting the two smooth. You're like, hey, how are you with the movement? And I asked you this question. I'm going to ask you again. But and I said, dude, I'm like, what movement? Like, I know there's movement, mm-hmm. but I am so I don't know if conditions the right word, but I'm so conditioned or used to. The movement now, having committed to the silverback for two years, yep. like it was, I mean, I had to learn kind of the mechanics of, I want to yeah. say, manipulating this too yep. smooth, mm-hmm. but the movement was and is never even consciously in my mind anymore. Yep. Like it's just an accepted thing. I mean, believe me, there's, <clears throat> you know, there's days where I have a steadier pin than others. And it was so interesting you posted that yesterday because yesterday morning i was throwing shots high having worked out i normally try to shoot early and then work out either right after or later in the day yeah but the day before i had done a pretty hard upper body workout and mm-hmm. so i was throwing shots high and i'm like i you know i just at this point in my life i'm just like well that's just what it is today yeah yeah but i had no idea why i'm I, like i thought i was doing everything right i'm just well that's just what it is um but that movement, you know, it's like, well, there's just more movement today, yeah. you know, yeah. and I just go through my process and trust the process and, you know, you know, if and I was like, well, maybe I should shoot the two smooth. And I'm like, nope, because I was shooting the silverback yesterday. Yeah. And I said, nope, this is what it is. This is what I committed to. Like, these are just the shots I'm going to shoot today. It's not going to affect me. I'm okay with it. I know tomorrow, I'll, you know, whatever, I'll be back dialed. But that acceptance, that's, that's. If we were, I guess I've never been to AA, but I've kind of seen it's like the what I don't even know how many steps it is, but you know I know there's steps to the program and it's twelve, okay, <laughs> or ten, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'll take your word for it. I think I'm on step seven. I can't go over step seven, which is stop drinking. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, you identifying that is a major peg. You know, like if. If I really focused on working with students from day one to whenever they were in the games, Mm -hmm. like that would be a very, that would be worth a coin. Like it'd be worth having coins to where right now I can hand you and say, okay, that's not something I was telling you to identify, but the fact that you've come to me now and you've told me that what movement is in the front half of your pin 
I mean, you have to manage it, mm-hmm. but also you understand that it's not the same every day and you don't let it affect the speed of your shot execution. That's a huge step. I mean, a huge step. And I think one of the things that people that are struggling with target panic, they don't tell themselves that enough Mm. mentally. I remember just sitting there having to tell myself, this is okay. This is okay. Totally cool. This is fine. Move around. Yeah, I like, you know, I'm fine with this. I'm not worried about it. Just, you know, see how long you can see how long you can take this, you know, work the release a little bit, trust the movement. This is cool. I don't have to be still like I was talking to myself at that rate Mm. because you're trying to reprogram this part of your brain that has a fear of being there or it has a fear of missing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it, it fears it so much that it wants it to happen as soon as you're cl- it knows that you you're on it cuz it's like i'm on it if it goes then I, i'm not going to miss but it's this really weird thing that you have to learn no actually i want to just be around it long enough like if i'm around it long enough and it goes off it mm-hmm. goes in there is that a better way to say it yeah you know, you have to, you have to trust it. And then once you really do, and you can go back and forth between those releases, then all of a sudden, when you finally go back to, we should actually, you should shoot your knock to it for the first time when you come out for turkeys. Cause that's only a month and a half away. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's maybe two months, but that would be pretty fun to go there. Let you shoot a knock to it with, at an indoor range at the spot and just really focus on like slowing things down just a little bit, steadying things up and just shoot it for a day. Like, I think you're going to, you're going to realize, Oh yeah. Okay. This was a lot less effort, Mm -hmm. but because you put less effort in, and this is actually something that relates to when people say, well, why do target archers like a different cam? So, like on my Prevail, I'm shooting a cam that's actually less forgiving than other than another cam I could have on the bow. Yeah. And a lot of target archers like that because when they're demanding on you, it forces you in practice to mm. make very high-quality shots. So you have to hold against the back wall aggressively. Or oh, yeah. If you creep at all, you're going, right? Oh, yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so – at a higher weight, it would be, I would say, almost too hard. So you know, is that why a lot of target archers shoot uh, a lower let off? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they. So th- there's a few things there, um, and I personally think it's why people why people that shoot Olympic style recurve archery. Like, if you see how much movement they have, it'll blow your mind that mm. they're still shooting as good as they are at 70 meters. But see, with a recurve shooter, they're putting more and more and more and more weight. The further back they pull, it doesn't let off. Mm -hmm. So they have, when they're pulling through their clickers, they are extremely dynamic. And they have a lot of weight that's instantly taking the arrow. Like it's instantly pulling the arrow out of that system. Whereas with a compound bow, 
the higher your let off, the longer that arrow sits back there before the cams ramp up to take it away. So, you know, if you look at uh, how long it takes from when your release clicks to when it passes your arrow rest on a mm -hmm. high let off, like, you know, you get a bow that's 90% let off, it won't cycle through that same path as fast as if you have one with a low let off that's just taking it. Oh, like okay. right now. So, yeah. you know, if two thirds of your arrow cycle time is that arrow still being within the vicinity of your face? Well, now factoring guys that don't know facial pressure, yep. they have beards, their fletchings wow. are in a place. Yeah. Okay, now all this is magnified. So for me, I feel like a big part of why I'm maybe not as accurate with my hunting bows. I don't, I don't want to say it that way because there's times where I feel like I could definitely take my hunting bow somewhere and if i had a magnified scope on it to where i was able to have the same visual picture as a guy i'm shooting against but mm -hmm. the bow itself and the arrow build itself is my hunting setup i feel like there's times where i could have won tournaments with my hunting bows but most of the time guys feel like they're less accurate with the high let off bows because any variance they have like um, for example, when I put, made that post yesterday about my high misses and I said, it's when I'm creeping, if you're yep. creeping, you're going to hit high out the target. That's just, and, and you know, and you can tune it out of the bows a little bit, but for the most part, if you creep, you go high, then immediately they're like, well, my problem is I'm a right-handed shooter, low, right. You know, is it because I'm pulling too hard on the wall? No, what it is low, right guys are guys that as they're pulling through, they're actually pulling out and away mm. from their face they mm -hmm. haven't got their elbow up high enough to where that rear forearms parallel and when they're coming through their shot it's able to come over the top of that shoulder you know that's when you start to eliminate those and i there's certainly times where i hit low right or low because i'm tr essentially trying to watch the arrow mm -hmm. you know i'm like mm -hmm. I, I want it to be a 10 or i want it to be a 12 ring and uh, you know i just forget the finish which is yeah. the in my opinion one of the most important parts because you can do everything else right and <laughs> if you don't finish the shot then you're going to be asking me that question why am i hitting low right as a right-handed shooter you didn't finish the shot you're coming out and away from your face and it doesn't take a lot but the higher let off you have on your bow and the the essentially the flimsier the string is mm -hmm. at full draw mm -hmm. on a compound bow yep. If that movement is going that way, it's easy for the wow. string to be directed. Whereas if you pull back a bow, if you pull back a bow with like 60% let off, and if you pull it back and just try to twist the string a little bit, way harder than you pull back one with 90% let off, you can just invert twist it on it, itself, yeah. right? So all that stuff mm. starts to, one, it's demanding on, your shot execution and how aggressive you are on your back wall. But two, it also puts more string tension as that, you know, and it, and it, it launches at a little bit. It's like ready to go. Yeah. You know, it's just like if you shoot a turbo cam, when people say, Hey, I'm looking to buy a bow. Should I get the turbo model? And my question is one, have you pulled it back? Like forget about five, 10 feet a second. Mm-hmm. 
if you pull it back and you f- do it several times in the shop, if there's ever a time where you feel like it's like you almost dry fired it, mm-hmm. it's probably not the bow for you. You know, my target bows are extremely easy to creep on, which is why I wouldn't want to hunt with them because, yeah. you know, a lot of times I'm at full draw for a long time. I might not even be in full draw in like proper posture. I might be yep. like yep. kind of low and just holding it back just so I can hold it for minutes. You wouldn't want a target bow to do that, but it's also why the target bows are less weight. So I don't know. It's a, in like in the gun world or like in the military are there guys that you know got their standard issue gun and they would go out and they would shoot and they could become really proficient with it and then all of a sudden they would get one for example like this one that i just had rogue tactical build for me that's six five creedmoor yeah dude you know, I'm actually happy i never really went out and like got into long distance shooting because i've got 300 mags and you know i've got some weather bees and stuff like that and some a bolts they're accurate but there's a difference mm-hmm. like when someone gives me this gun you know which wes and tony built this gun for me it's like once you shoot that thing it's like okay yeah i can't do this with a browning a bolt mm-hmm. with like ammo i'm gonna buy across the counter shit i yeah. just it yeah. won't do it I'm the same person, but give me this thing where the ammo's matched, this whole thing's freaking calibrated, dialed in. Like, all I got to do is roll the turret, execute the same shot, and it's just in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle. That's what the target bows do, and you won't experience it with with your hunting bow. You might get lucky and it's perfect, but, you know, maybe not. Like, you set up your own RX-3, so I don't really know. My RX-3 liked a slightly different arrow than my rx1 did really mm-hmm. yeah interesting so you might be shooting good but just not great and it might not be yeah good. well I, I i mean i'm i don't feel i'm shooting great with the rx3 yet and you're not able to shoot outside of distance right so like, dude if you were shooting at your 100 yard target you'd be like man i'm struggling with left and rights mm-hmm. when you're shooting at 20 yards you're maybe shooting a nine right maybe shooting a nine left and do you really know? Yeah. It's like this bigger, you know, once you go outside and you extend the distance, now the magnifying glass is so much bigger Yeah. to where then you can start to identify. I think you'd have fun with it. I think, I think for you and a lot of people out there, what I would say is you don't necessarily have to go balls deep into target archery. I think what you need is a hybrid. I think what you need is... A hunting bow set up a little bit more like a target bow where, Mm -hmm. like, the fletchings are smaller. You're going to have, you know, you're going to be able to go out and shoot longer distance not have as much effect by the wind. Yeah. You know, but you're not shooting a broadhead, so you don't have to worry about, you know, steering when it came time to hunting season. Mm -hmm. Even just getting a slightly smaller scope housing with one pin, reducing your peep size a little bit, maybe for the first time, tweaking around with a little bit of stabilizer variation Uh and then then i think you might also appreciate something and then the other thing too is you're you're a fairly big guy like guys like me and you when we shoot these shorter hunting bows naturally the peep is further from your eye than with a target bow 
because if you get yeah. if you go out and get a even if you got a prevail 37 your string angle is going to be broader it yeah. won't be as sharp mm -hmm. so that peep instead of it being you know let's just say five inches from your eye if that string angles up now it's even if it's four and a quarter it's a big difference huh the distance from that was the hardest thing um i shot i shot a perfectly clean nfa nationals one time with a matthews lx and i was shooting um it was more or less my hunting setup it was i had no magnification it was just a Jeez. solid pin uh-huh um but what was hardest about it was because it was short and had a very short brace height the peep was really far from my eye mm. and i remember when i missed because I trained for a couple months. I'm like, I want to shoot a 300 with our new hunting bow. Uh -huh. um, well, I wanted to shoot a 60. I wanted to shoot a 60X 300. I wanted to shoot clean. So the whole time I'm just telling myself, double check peep, double check peep. Because it, because it was so far from my eye, it was easier for my head position to be slightly variant. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see my front sight variation on my rear sight i didn't see it as much because it was so far from my eye with a target bow you can shoot a really almost not a pinhole but maybe the size of like i don't even know what size it is but it's like the tip of a big pen is really? how big my peep is wow yeah it, yeah it's pretty small huh well i would say that's if i had to you know identify right now what my number one i don't know struggle it would be that that uh not the target acquisition but the i think you call it framing yep right mm -hmm. so you know and you talked about it i mean we talked about it at one of our camps but you know essentially where you're 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 kind of framing the bottom of the site housing yep. and the peep so that you can check the level right check the framing check the pin and you're not going all the way like i was going all the way around i was bouncing all over the yep. damn thing um but to consistently come back bring my uh you know come to anchor bring my head in and get that that kind of framing perfect mm -hmm. every time and then so even if i can do that then as I start to pull through the shot, depending on what I'm shooting, especially a silverback, you can do this. Mm -hmm. If I start to like pull longer on the shot, like I'll start, like that framing will start to move. Mm -hmm. And then I start, you know, I mean, maybe sounds more dramatic than it is, but you know, to fight it, to keep yeah. it, mm -hmm. it, you know, and when you're, you know, when you're shooting at 20 yards at a little X, like it doesn't take much to th throw the whole thing off, you know? And Oh yeah. No. And so that's if I had to identify my single biggest point to work on right now, I would say it's the framing of that shot and keeping it throughout the whole the whole shot. Yeah, it's tough to do, which is which is why I really like commitment within the shot. You know, I've got to the point where and it's funny I heard yesterday I was listening to Rogan and Andy when Andy was on Rogan's podcast. Mm -hmm. and I was only able to catch parts of it but uh one of the parts that i caught was joe talking about like songs that he 
mentally sings in his head while he's rolling. And he said, like, one of the ones was Christina Aguilera. And he's like, I've never told anybody that. But he goes, for whatever reason, he goes, that song, like, continually, like, happens. And he's, you know, and I think he kind of just got to the point where he realized that. Mm -hmm. So I have the same sort of thing. To help my shots shoot at a more fluid pace, I have things that I say to myself just repetitively. And if you do it long enough, it's it's a form of medication to where almost like there's certain parts of uh, meditation. Did I say medication? Yeah, you did. Okay. Either well, way. Medi- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Self-medication through meditation. Um, so in meditation, if you learn to do it right, you can really start to almost change your breathing mm. patterns. And you can, mm. if you if you practice it, you can actually bring your breathing down to a, a more of a resting heart rate and a more of a you know resting breathing rate so but there you have to practice to do it because there's certain things that you say to yourself in your mind where it triggers like mm. a flow it triggers mm. a timing and a rhythm and me saying I shoot X's because they make me feel good. Me, you know, I shoot X's because they make me feel good. Like when I'm, <laughs> when I say this, it's normally like I've got that, that peep acquisition that you talked about. Mm-hmm. My pins on the target. I'm either off my safety on a silverback or I've brought my finger to a safety on a knock to it. And that saying is going like kind of going through my head, and it's not. Like, if I'm repeating it multiple times before the shot fires, automatically I'm like, something's not right. Hmm. But when it's really going, it's almost like I shoot X's because they, and then I'm saying, I'm saying, like, because they make me feel good and I like see it go into the X. Or then sometimes it's, it's breaking at good, you know? So, but having that to where I'm in the pocket for a shorter period of time helps me from losing the picture gotcha. so people that are aimers what sucks about aiming is you're having to maintain that sight picture for a very long period of time and i personally think the longer you're in it the more it fades like in mm. there's times where i'm looking through my peep and it's almost like everything just gets fuzzy yep yep and I kind of back away from my string. Like, did my peep just spin? That's out? what I. Yeah, that's what I would think. And, but yeah. it does. But it hasn't. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, that's like your body's way of just saying, like, I'm, I'm to the point where my focus has exerted itself. Like, your window of opportunity for me to be committed in this pocket is now gone. So you should just let down. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And so learning to, you know, you should come up with something that's on your own to where once you let off that safety that thing's going at a little bit, you know, smoother rate mm-hmm. and a quick, maybe a little bit quicker rate, which is, you know, like I said, this week, that's what I want from people. I want them to be in the pocket for less time. Intr- yeah. You okay. know, I want, I don't want them to rush the shot a hundred percent. Do yeah. not rush the shot, but I want you to have the same result with just maybe 10% less effort you know, make it, I just want it to go a little bit faster is Mm -hmm. all because you start to add that up. Well, now you don't get to where the last three arrows of your Vegas round are killing you to get that last two points to shoot your first 300 because Mm -hmm. you've saved 10% for 28 shots. 
you've got yeah 280 percent more in the tank so that's essentially that's what i want people yeah. to do well, you, you shot my, that up. my bow and my silverback uh, last may right and you said yeah, yeah i don't know it's pretty you know you're, you're shooting it pretty pretty heavy <clears throat> and um which is tough because in a hunting situation you get jacked up well so you know? that's so that's my point like i you know and i as you can see i've definitely got an archery problem like you um <laughs> i i mean the I amount of called it a the problem. amount of silverbacks and knock to its own is probably yeah well, anyways I'm, I'm probably keeping people away from getting their own because i'm keep buying them but <laughs> but my point is you know they're all a little different but for those hunting situations like i know I, even though i i feel completely in control and I know I can execute my shots. Like when a bull elk comes in to beat your ass mm -hmm. and like you're at full draw, like I know I'm going to be amped up. And even yeah. though I check in, mm -hmm. so I always shoot them a little heavier for those hunting situations. Yep. And so, you know, now that I've been kind of committed to this school of knock all <clears throat> winter, you know, I feel like I need to back down yeah. those silverbacks a little bit, especially to get more reps in. Yeah. You know, because yeah. like the other day, you know, I, I told you I haven't really been shooting the silverback a lot. And uh, I got a upper body workout in. Then yesterday I go and I'm shooting my whatever I shot. I think I shot 36 arrows or something like that. And, like, the last six arrows, like, they were – and I'm, they were more of a struggle. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn. Like, yeah. dude, I, I like I'm, I know I'm in shape to shoot the silverback, or I thought I was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, haven't been off it for two and a half, three months. Yeah. And you know, I hear that a lot from buddies as well. They're like, dude, I can only shoot 10 arrows. And then I can't get the thing to go off. Yep. And it's like, you, you, you know, you got to commit to it. You think you're in shape, but you're actually not. Like, but to see, shoot that. that and yeah, but the, then again, that's what's nice about during this, you know, and especially you and I and a lot of our, a lot of our friends anyway. Yeah. Uh, December's a lull month. A lot of us are here. It's holidays. We're around. You know, we're decompressing. Freaking all of our camo gears is thrown in the garage. Yeah. Like I don't want to look at you for a few months. But and we we get we get after it. Like you know you probably a lot of people I think were more committed to the school of knock in the first half, and then all of a sudden trade shows start happening. Oh yeah, you know people are going to a trade show or the Vegas shoots coming up. I mean, there's a lot of different things for you and I we're you know there's a lot of consumer and trade shows so you're just you're missing these four day windows yeah so when you come back you really recognize the difference of in the summertime when you're able to get up every morning and go out yep. there and shoot a hundred arrows every morning like yep. you know there's some days where I think okay if I'm gonna go to my range it means I'm gonna have to go there I'm gonna have to shovel for 30 minutes then I'm going to shoot. Then by the time I get back, I really needed to do this or that. And it's, you know, I end up saying, eh, I'm just going to blank bail for 50 shots in the basement. Which you know? is hugely beneficial. Yeah. For, and for that, for like what we're saying from the conditioning point of view. But I think that's why having a bow with lower weight mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. this time of year mm -hmm. um, is so, I think it's so beneficial. And I, for people out there who say you have an, you know, an RX one right now, if you know you're going to be getting a new bow coming up soon, 
I would say wait until the bow that you have is kind of discontinued. And when you know that it's going away, try to get a deal on some lighter limbs. You know? Oh, uh-huh. And maybe, and maybe go into your shop and say, you know, hey, I'm going to buy this new whatever. What You know, what kind of price can you give me? And obviously we're all deal shoppers. And then when they say this is the best I can do, maybe try saying, hey, if will you swap out these limbs for me? You know, if it's not something you feel comfortable doing at home, mm-hmm. like make that part of your little, the, the deal breaker for the shop. Just say, hey, can you, if I buy this thing, get it all set up, can you, I want to get some 60-pound limbs for that. Now, granted, you're probably going to have to pay the limbs, but on the labor side, maybe, you know, maybe they'll they'll give you that 30 minutes of labor and, mm-hmm. and throw it in, um, you know, especially if you're buying another setup from them. Yeah. But, Use your old setup and just reduce that poundage 10 pounds. And, you know, and on our bows, you might be able to, um, well, on the RX1s, go to that lower let off mod. Yeah. Because most of them are standard with the black modules. Yeah. You and I shot silver modules because yeah. in Montana, we have to. And a lot, I think all the Colorado, shops. Colorado, I know you have to. Yeah. yeah. And what's funny is um, at first, when I, in last summer, when I put those mods on to come here, because I didn't shoot those mods in Alberta, mm. but I changed them before, there was like a couple shots that kind of got away from me where I was creeping. Oh, really? Yeah, at, at Praxin. And then I thought, I'm going to get rid of these freaking things as soon as I get back from Montana. But once we shot out at camp and I felt how they felt on the mountain and everything, I ended up just stay, staying mm. with them. And then when I built my RX-3, I got it with the really high let off mods just because i know you know i've got turkeys i got hogs i got all this stuff till i come back around to montana and i honestly don't feel like i shot it better hmm. you know i might end up going back to those 80 percent i think they're 75 you can get 75s yep yeah yep yeah i think they were 75s that i had and yeah it doesn't feel as comfortable you can't be as lazy back there but it also makes you makes you shoot a little bit and i i feel like i got more accurate yeah before we bolt dude i gotta ask you some questions oh jeez. so there's a i i've got several that i flagged but i don't know how many we'll get through maybe if we have time later we can do another podcast and just hit questions so number one matt newton is asking um would you would like you to talk about cats i'm thinking about getting one i'd like to know what breeds he thinks are the best companions <laughs> awesome question matt um i've uh i got maine coons right and so it's like people will tell you maine coon is is kind of like a dog in a cat suit but they're like super. They're super. Uh, I didn't know if that was a real cat. Name. No, it is. I was there's, like there's, for that, the that that cat right there is a Maine Coon. Yeah, they're, dude, they're I love big him. and they're vocal and they're super. Like, oh, maybe, maybe almost to a, a, a fault. They're like super social. <laughs> You're like, all right, cat. Like, I've had enough. Like, go be a cat again. You know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I love I love Maine Coons. I I used to have a Maine Coon, a female. Uh, when I was in Alaska, and I would literally do laps with her in the yard, and she would just follow me. And I'd, I'd, I'd say, get her exercise in. I'd walk to one end, I'd call her over. I'd walk to the other end, I'd call her over. Yeah, <laughs> we get her. <laughs> I'd get her laps in, but yeah, 
Maine Coons are pretty cool, and Norwegian Forest Cats are even they're even bigger. But anyways, that's my cat advice. All get right. a cat. Get a cat. It'll change your life, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just just like uh, in that movie, Meet the Fockers, right? It's like a dog's an emotionally shallow animal. Like cat, to, you know, makes you earn their affection. Like a cat, a cat's not gonna. I don't know. Some cats have an attitude. It doesn't matter how much you earn. They're gonna. That's just, what I love about them. They're dude. just gonna jack you up. That's when, what I love about if them. They, like if sit in ambush. Please. Yeah. You can learn a lot about a cat. You can apply a lot of what you learn from a cat to hunting situations, like patience, ambushing, <laughs> stalking. Right. I don't know. I, I'll let you deal with that. I'll let you deal with that. All right. Change next, your life. Man. Next question is. Uh, from J6 Studios, um, it's this not every que- yeah, not every question is you know like tell us about Barklow's life. There was a lot of them in there. I just didn't flag them all. <laughs> um, switching from a 3D arrow setup to a hunting arrows with the same bow. Um, how do you adjust the bow sight scale, draw weight, etc.? Um, I think we covered. We talked about a lot of that. One reducing poundage. Yeah. I think if you're gonna make a you know. A 3D setup is a little bit different because, again, like I talked about, when I shot 3D, I don't feel like I, sh- I, w- I was shooting as many arrows as an archer because you have to judge targets and estimate distance as much or more than shooting because, yeah. you know, you're only shooting – some of these indoor tournaments right now, you know, they may only have 25, 35 targets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're shooting 35 things, but you're having to judge 35 things, too. So, I think reducing the weight. And, obviously, anytime you change anything, you change everything. So, um, I built a bow for a guy. Uh, it was a white Prevail with red limbs. It was really cool. Built it a month yeah. or so ago. Yeah, it looked awesome. And uh, I built it with 2315s for, mm-hmm. you know, mainly for shooting indoor stuff. But I put a couple fat boys through it just to see how it would shoot. And at 60 yards, it was just like, I mean, just wadding arrows up. So what I told the guy is when you want to move outside, dude, this is a perfect 3D bow. All you need to do is, you know, put a fiber. Mm-hmm. If you want a fiber up pin, get a fiber in the sight. Um, but I said just get these arrows. Um Lancaster Archery makes some sight scales that are like yep. pre-done sight yeah, scales. Yeah. I just buy those things by the dozens because a lot of times <laughs> I'm good within, to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, because what's nice is when I build bows, I'll get a 20-yard mark and then I'll go back to 70 or 80. Mm-hmm. You know, my elk's at 80, and I'll put a sticker on it. And when I'm pounding that dot at 80, I'll have that line, and I'll have my line for 20 yards. And I'll just go get those scales, and I'll fold it over, and I'll just line up my 20 and my 80, and everything in between is going to bang on. Yeah. So that's what I do. I'll just get it sighted in perfectly at 20, and that's why I have those long, tall targets because yeah. essentially I'm just walking yeah, yeah, back. Right. Uh-huh. I'm like walking back, sliding my sight a little bit, just staying with, staying on the target mm-hmm. more or less. But I don't really focus on how is this shooting until I – then get to the longest distance. I'll get to gotcha. 80 yeah. and shoot. So if you change arrows, you will need a scale. I really like um, the Easton Fat Boys for 3D. 
I think if I were to go back and shoot it, that's what I would shoot. It's a it's a really accurate arrow and gives you options. Um, gives you options on point weights too. You know, depending on what you're doing, if you're a 3D shooter, you're not going to worry as much about FOC. Whereas if you start to become a guy that maybe is going to do target or field archery, but with a 3D bow, then you're going to be making longer shots, but with a larger, lighter diameter arrow. So it might be beneficial for you to set up that thing with maybe lower speeds than 3D. Like 3D guys mainly like shooting 290s. Okay. You know, two, mid, I think for ASA you can shoot like 288 is the max. So people shoot in the mid 280s. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going to go shoot a field course, I wouldn't sweat it about putting an extra 10 or 20 grains in the front of that arrow and having it shoot 275 because if I know the distance, sure, I'd rather yeah. have – almost a better more favorable projectile Mm -hmm. if i'm not having to estimate distance so that's what i think dude um good luck with that and then next question here is from andrew ahard is saying can we expect footwear from sick in the near future (laughs) the peril is fire so future footwear for sure please yeah and there's by the way he is not the only one to ask that question really Interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that question is a hot ticket in this thread, as is, I'm a big guy, and I need big guy sizes, including talls. How big is big? Well. 3XL is pretty big. I think if you're my size, you could use more length on pants. Yeah. I, 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 you know, we've talked, we talked about that even yesterday, and yeah, we have to convince Eric, I think, um. I don't know if we'll go extra tall pants. you have a cell pants, number we can give out? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you his email. Everyone texts um, long, too. <laughs> but I, I think we've heard it enough that maybe our talls will be a little taller. As far as footwear, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say there's a lot of interesting developments coming in the next two to three years. Yeah. Yeah. What, the one thing that everyone out there who is a SICA person, um, you have to – Except I shouldn't even say learn to deal with it because we just have to accept it. <laughs> um, and I'm one of them is the progression of when something's launched to when it will see all of us. Sika and Gore are extremely methodical about yeah. what comes out more. I mean, I'm pretty patient in the manufacturing realm but you guys even test my patience. Well, so yesterday, what we were talking about yesterday is, is you know, proposed for spring of 2021. I know. Like, that's how far out we are. Mm-hmm. And some projects, I can't really divulge what, are 22, 23 already. Like, they've, yeah. they're just, that's the, that's a projection of when they'll be ready. Yeah. But, and, you know, and that's my job. Like, my job, like, that's my responsibility is to not, put something out there that's not ready and so the hard it, thing too is there's some i mean this year i use crispies in the mountains yeah freaking unbelievable product yeah and and i think we even had this conversation i was i was just saying man <laughs> he's ready to go outside there's people that build really good products like on that mountain boot that crispy was awesome as soon as it came to whitetail i realized Crispy didn't have the options that I need for a guy that's sitting for a long time. Right. Um, as well as just some of the conditions in the South and in Texas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, um, 
I switched to lacrosse yep. for most of my whitetail. The, the Alpha Burley is just an awesome, awesome boot. Um, lacrosse has come a long way, too. I hadn't used one in a long time because I was using my UA boots, but mm. I really liked the lacrosse Alpha Burleys. Yeah. And then um, when I went down to, like, snake country, I bought those um, – the i don't know what the model name is but they're the danners mm -hmm. they're a danner snake boot and it at first i had the one that laced up but it also had a zip up the side yeah um but then my cousin had some that were just like a full like pull-on cowboy boot that yeah. was a snake boot yeah and so i got some of those and i freaking love them like I've been wearing them down in Texas every time I've gone. I just take them even if the snakes aren't out. It's just per they're awesome for all the cactus. Yeah, and everything. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they work good. So, I mean, when you have people that are build, building stuff like that that's super just good and specific, there has to be you, – you have to have something that's better to justify it. Yep, yep. Know? Well, that's what we try to do, you know, we – we say we try to solve Which problems that hunters the, maybe don't waiter. even know they have. With, right, With exactly. the waiter, you did it. Great example. Yeah, the waiter, yep. you know, the waiter, I can't even get any. I no, want dude, they sold out in hours. Yeah, and everyone that I've talked to about them loves them. Yeah. So from that aspect, like, you know, you built something that there was a need for and you built it better. So I guess if that comes, then you guys will have a boot. Otherwise, there's. I think there's some awesome companies doing it. Okay, uh, let's see. AJ Aquinta, I hope I pronounced that right, saying, knock on and sick of gear, where's the knock on release pouch? <laughs> <laughs> good call. Yeah, we've talked about that for a while. It is. That That is a good call. Yeah, we've talked about that for a while. And we, we actually need to sit down and talk about that again because – I have some awesome ideas. Yeah. Originally, I was going to do it with, um, I was going to do, because I know you had some ideas and I had some ideas. I was going to do one um, with Schneider, but. Oh, yeah? It, yeah, but they're just. Nothing. Schneider doesn't shoot a release anymore. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Maybe that's why he lost interest. <laughs> no, we should talk about that because I, I know that's something I would like to have. And I know you, obviously. Oh, yeah. So I can only imagine well, a I bunch of other you, people would. I do have something going. Oh, dude, that thing is sick. Yeah. yeah. Wait till they see. Wait till everyone I know, sees I that. Can't. I had forgot about I'd that. I'd love to tell everybody about it. But yeah, it's not quite a pouch, but no, it's sick. There's though. something coming that's you guys are all gonna really like. <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. I think it's Mike, Mike Wid Outdoors or Mike Wide. I don't know. Sounds Outdoors. made up. Sounds made up to me. Of course it is. <laughs> um, thoughts on a back hunting state? We have like two minutes back hunting stabilizer back stable uh, oh. rear stabilizer bar for hunting i know my thoughts on it what's yours so i'll tell you if, if uh mike is his name like if you asked me two years ago i was all in mm -hmm. um last oh, did, were you all in before oh yeah 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 oh, no okay. i had well, i had bee stingers stuff hanging all <laughs> off and then last year i cut that back stabilizer like i it was only i went from like uh, i think it was eight inch i think i cut it back to maybe five yeah and kind of end of my season last year all winter and setting up my rx3 um i've kind of committed to not shooting the back stabilizer anymore and for a lot of reasons one is i mean yeah it probably helped me in some regard but it's heavy to carry 
I yeah. felt I was starting to almost get like tendonitis from holding a heavy bow up, like constantly shooting every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And and I and I don't know if this is true yet. We'll we'll vet it out this spring. But it's almost like was it almost I don't know a bit of a crutch maybe. So anyways, I I think people need to try them to see what it's like. But I've I did that. I went all in, and now I've weaned myself off of it. So that's what I have to say about yeah. stabilizers. And I know you've got your own opinions, you know, with everybody hanging a ton of weight off. God, there's so many good questions here. Well, we've got a meeting we have to get to. We're yeah. meeting some guys in town uh, for breakfast to chill out for a little bit. Maybe we can get back to some of these. They're so good. I mean, there's a question here. You know, what do you believe is the best state for a DIY elk hunt? Mm. I mean, that's a good question. And you would answer it better than me. What exercises do do you and John do to prevent elbow tendonitis? Ah, perfect. See? Because that's something that I've struggled with in the past, for well, sure. Well, and reducing you know? your overall weight has helped it. That That is absolutely helped. Yeah. Cutting, cutting all those extra things off my bow and shooting, you know, I, I mean, you're going to invest 1600 bucks in a carbon bow. Yeah. You might as well try to shoot a light setup. Yeah. You know, and there's pros and cons, but... But no, that's definitely helped me. I was People getting are surprised tendonitis. by how light my setups are when they your like, setups are really light. Yeah, yeah, people are surprised by that. But I think it, I think all that factors into wear and tear. I think the fact that most of the shots I shoot throughout the year are low poundage. Um, so that's one other thing I got to do. I think that yeah, next winter shoot lower poundage. And I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to milk every ounce of speed out of my setups yeah, to where either. I'm not shooting yeah. a tuning fork. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. <laughs> frequency frequency goes through the body and it does things to it. You know, it's a lot of times the vibration and it's the drive of that front arm because yeah. you know the the bow itself isn't absorbing that energy off the string into the arrow and then the arrow's going through. It's like the arrow's light and it's just like twanging out and then there's mm-hmm. just this vibration just ringing in and out of the bow and you know i call it residual vibration and then it'll project through sure, the arm yeah, i can see that and over time it's gonna hurt so yeah shooting a little bit heavier arrow out of your setups or lighter weight out of your setups you know for me anyway i think my front shoulder stays down and healthier um i think when my when my shoulder's creeping a lot, it's mm-hmm. no different than when I sleep wrong on it on bed, on yeah. the bed. Yeah. It's also not, I feel this impingement and it mm. takes like a long time to get it out of there. I feel like when I try to shoot too much stabilizer weight, I almost impinge myself because you have to jack your shoulder out of the socket yeah. to physically hold more weight than you're able to hold out in front of you. Yep. No, I think there's a lot to that. I, again, I think people need to try it, but I've I've I went there and I, I've come back from that journey. So, well, dude, it was awesome. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's go get some breakfast. Yeah, I'm ready to to this pound some chili Montana the, morning. Yeah, you guys have some of the best food in Montana. I swear your breakfasts are dynamite. Oh, yeah, the western's pretty legit too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, make sure you check out uh, John Barclow's Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's one picture there. There will only always be one picture. Yeah, so it's Jay Barklow. <laughs> if you want to follow him, there's one photo there. And I'm at, still gunning for 2,000 followers, <laughs> John. 
What? Yeah, you and Andy are Okay. Like. Um, so, <laughs> hey, when this podcast comes out, um, yeah, I wish I could track who I followed I can't tell you, you how many people are irritated by that. I'd give something away. They're like, to, dude, to, you don't even do anything, and you have all these followers. I'm okay. like, well. And that's perfect. I know people. I know people who know people. Okay, well, everyone out there listening to this, uh, Barklow needs some more followers to get to 2,000. Let's yeah, make many, that happen. That's hilarious. Yep. So when you get to 2,000, will you do another podcast? Or post? I'll do both. Oh. oh. I'll do oh. both. Oh. I'll do both. Okay. I'll do both. It, there you it's, go. Yeah, I have to find another cat to pick up. And <laughs> <laughs> take another picture. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have to be a cat. No, you it can doesn't. change it up. I you can. can. You can throw us a new curveball. We'll but let I think will remove it. the current picture and replace it with a new one. <laughs> yeah, so if you want a screensaver <laughs> of Barklow with his cat, you better screenshot you got, it you now. You better do it quick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.